Well, hello, my good friends. I hope you are all having a fantastic day this Halloween. Today, we have a perfect collection to begin your festivities on this haunted day. We have a collection of stories by three of my favorite authors. Beautiful Nightmare, Ghost Inc., and PA Nightmares. All three have been on this channel multiple times, and all three are fantastic at writing stories that haunt your dreams. So please, relax, sit down for a moment, close your eyes, and fall into a dream with me as we enjoy these terrifying tales of intrigue. Sticks and Stones by P.A. Nightmares A man awakens in a dark room, zip-tied to a chair, yet he does not remember how he got there. He assumes that the throbbing of his head may have something to do with the reason. As he sits there, in the darkened room, his mind slowly begins to recall the events that led him to this unfamiliar place. James walked into his boss's office. Superstar, Travis Murphy. This man ruled the law firm. No case was too big or too small for him to take on. It simply didn't matter. He had never lost, and he would do anything to keep that streak alive. <laughs> what took you so long? I would have aged ten years if you had moved any slower. Pick up the pace. I could find your replacement by the day's end if not, Travis remarked. James looked down at the floor, his demeanor stiff and cowardly. I'm sorry, Mr. Murphy. It will not happen again. I'll make sure to move quicker, James whispered. You're pathetic. You know that, right? You've worked as my personal secretary for years, yet you show no freaking backbone. Do you have no ambition to move up in this company? <laughs> Travis harshly laughed. Sorry, sir. Thank you, sir. I will keep that in mind, sir. May I please be excused, sir? James fearfully spoke. His boss was clearly in a bad mood. It was always best to keep your head and fly under his radar when he was irrational like this. Getting to work on his daily tasks, he kept the thoughts of what his boss had said in the back of his mind. He is not that pathetic. He has a wife, children, and, and he's very happy. So what if he wasn't born with a silver spoon in his mouth? This is what he has to do in order to put food on the table and keep his family clothed. Does that bastard not realize his words hurt? Seriously, sticks and stones very well may break bones, like we're taught as children. However, words can very well hurt you too. The pen is mightier than the sword, and this has always been one of James's favorite quotes. The reason for this is that words have started wars as well as ended wars. They've saved lives and ended lives. Now to hear this dick throwing insults around and then telling me how to live my life? Someone needs to put that asshole in his place, James thought to himself. The phone begins to ring as he is lost deep within his thoughts. He mindlessly answers the phone for the hundredth time that day. He immediately hears the familiar voice of his sister. Oh, Katie, how are you? This is a nice surprise, he says. He quickly realizes that she's crying, which snaps him out of his thoughts. James's tone of voice is full of concern when he speaks again. Hey, what's wrong, sis? On the other end of the phone, Katie sobs. 
Her words were caught within her throat as she struggles to catch her breath. Lexi is dead. She manages to say. These three words shattered James's world. He loved his niece dearly and she was only 15 years old. How? How did it happen? She was hit by a car on her way home from school. The driver fled. He had crashed his car not far from where he had hit her. The cops realized that he was drunk when they got him. His sister spoke once more. This time, she had just a little bit more composure. The line quickly disconnects. James looks up to see his boss towering over him. What do you think you're doing? You know personal calls are not to be made during work hours. Are you stupid? Or do you just want me to fire you today? I didn't make the call, sir. But I did just get news that my niece has been killed by a hit-and-run driver today. I need to go home with my family, Mr. Murphy. Is that okay with you, sir? James spoke. Tears welled in his eyes as he tried to keep his composure. His boss's eyes clouded with anger. Is that okay with me? No, it's not okay with me, you moron. Do you know why I came out to see what your pathetic ass was doing? Because I just had to answer my own phone like some kind of common lawyer. We have a new case. A government official's son has been in a car accident. He had some stupid child and he's facing some serious charges. He'll need to work overtime today. James stands up, his face mere inches from his boss's. He has to try to do something, for once. You do realize you're defending the person that killed my niece, don't you? You can't take this case. Give it to someone else, please, sir. James begged him. I've worked for you for years. Do me this one favor and just don't take his case. Travis looks him up and down, his expression changing from anger to one of pure amusement. You... You really think that you matter to me at all? This is a high-profile case, and with that comes money and prestige. Also, you're fired, so clean out your desk. Get your pathetic, cowardly presence out of my face and out of my office. If you're still here in 30 minutes, I'll have security throw you out on your ass. James, feeling defeated, cleans out his desk and leaves. He didn't have much to clean out, therefore it took him only a total of 10 minutes. He realized that he still had his access card upon leaving the building. <laughs> Fuck it. He shouted. He would turn the stupid thing in when they called about it. First, he needed to go be with his sister. Over the next week, James did not concern himself with finding a new job, or even give his old boss a second thought. He spent the time making arrangements for his niece's funeral, and being with his sister at the trial. Finally, the day came. The evidence was open and shut. The cops found the kid in the car, drunk off of his ass, with James's niece's blood all over the car. However, he said he was not the driver and the cops found him in the passenger seat blacked out. There was no evidence of a second person in the vehicle. The jury went back and deliberated for less than 20 minutes. They came back with a verdict of not guilty. This sent James into a rage. He knew his former boss had done some illegal shit to pull this off, and it was the last straw. James went home after he dropped his sister at her house and managed to get her to sleep. He considered getting drunk, yet the more he thought about it, the more he realized this bastard needed to learn his actions have consequences. James got into his car later in the night, only to notice that it was 6 o'clock in the morning. No one would be in the office for another two hours, except Travis. 
That man always got there promptly at 7 o'clock. It took James about an hour to get to his former place of employment. He saw that Travis had indeed already gotten there upon his arrival. He took out his old access card. He hoped they had not yet deactivated it. James slid the card in the slot, the red dot quickly turning green allowing him access. Thank God, he thought. It still works. He went to the elevator, pressed the button for the top floor of the massive structure, and waited for the doors to open. The elevator ride took maybe five minutes to complete, the gears grinding as the metal container moved up every floor before coming to an abrupt halt. The doors slid open and he quickly stepped out. He could hear his boss blasting his classical music, which he always played when he was hard at work on a difficult case. James grabbed the first heavy object that he could find before creeping into his boss's office. James, full of rage, smacked Travis in the back of the head as hard as he possibly could. Travis fell out of his chair, rolled over onto the floor, and saw the face of his former secretary. As Travis's vision began to fade, darkness quickly overtook him. His eyes closed, which left a satisfying smirk to creep across James's lips. All of that brings us to this current moment. Travis is still sitting here in the dark room, still strapped to that wooden chair. Where the fuck are you, James? The least you can do is show your face, you coward. Tis, tis, tis. Is that any way to speak to another person? An unfamiliar voice spoke. But I suppose that if you were a decent human being, then we would not find ourselves in this predicament, now would we? Who's there? Travis yells. Oh, I would not expect you to know who I am. But I do believe that you and my brother have been introduced. The lights abruptly turned on to reveal James standing directly in front of him. Surprise! James shouts, a wicked grin plastered to his face. Travis makes a deep hacking noise before saliva lands on James's face. You think you'll get away with this, you spineless guppy? <laughs> Travis chuckles. From behind Travis came the glitter of a knife. He received two quick and fairly deep cuts. The unfamiliar voice speaks once more, this time from directly behind him. Consider this the introduction to your current circumstance. If you insult me and or my brother again, then you shall receive cuts for every one. If you lie to us, then you will also receive a cut. However, if you can humble yourself enough to tell us the truth, well... You may just walk out of this with your life, but I doubt you're capable of that. Finally, stepping back from the shadows, the unfamiliar voice morphs into a person to reveal James's sister, Katie. And who the hell are you? I am the mother of the child who was murdered by that piece of shit you defended. That is who I am. I should give you another cut for that, but I'll give you a pass this time. I did forget to explain one thing to you, though. The more blood you lose, the more the container below you collects. Once you lose enough blood, <laughs> it will trigger the pressure plate, and if that happens, well, you'll just have to see this for yourself. Katie points upward, knife still in hand, causing Travis to look up. He sees a net filled with a lot of large rocks. Sticks and stones will break your bones, and words will set you free. Let us begin with the first question. 
She excitedly claps. Did you or did you not spend the last ten years treating my brother like your whipping boy? Travis opens his mouth to protest, yet he looks at James. I wasn't that bad of a boss, was I? He asks. James calmly looks at Travis before a guttural laugh leaves his throat. <laughs> Not that bad? Not that bad? James yells. You never once gave me a holiday off, and you would dock my pay if I had to leave work early due to a family emergency. You were then as you are now. A monster. A monster and, quite frankly, an absolute nightmare to work for. Travis becomes angry at the sight of this man who was lesser than him, laughing and mocking him. Listen here, you little shit. You were a terrible employee, always whining about your family, your hours, not being able to have a holiday off. If you'd put a little more effort into your job, then maybe, just maybe, I would have treated you better. Katie's amused expression rapidly fades as she glances at her brother. Do you want to do the honors, or should I? She inquires. James reaches out his hand grabbing the knife from his sister with a sick smile on his lips. Oh, this one is all me, he says. James walks over to where his boss is being forced to sit. He roughly cuts the shirt from his boss's torso. What are you doing? Travis furrows his brows. The blade easily glides along Travis's chest, five separate times which causes him to tense up a bit. Now there's one thing I want you to know. Just in case you think this is a joke, I assure you, it's not. We are serious, and you should know that this is a fight for your life and not some silly game. James sneers. Okay, now, on to question two. Do you feel guilty for setting free the people that have ruined others' lives? by committing heinous crimes against them. Honestly, no, I don't. I've done what I've done to achieve this lifestyle. I've become acquainted with it, and I would do it all over again. Travis calmly looks at them. Katie looks at him with a curious expression on her face. So, you're admitting that you have tampered with evidence, threatened witnesses, and asked your clients to perjure themselves? Ugh. <sighs> What the hell? It's just us, right? Yeah, I did it. I did it all and I loved every single second of it. You do not even understand the kind of adrenaline rush that I get from breaking the law knowing full well that I will never be caught. Being the smartest person in the room has its benefits after all. You feel no remorse then? Not even a little guilt for all of the lives you've ruined? Well, I must commend you for telling the truth. Your lack of empathy towards your fellow man cannot. No, it will not be overlooked. Katie coldly states. She grabs the knife from her brother's weak grip, her lips pursed into a tight line as the anger building within her struggles to be contained. She walks over to Travis, one eager step at a time. Her feet stop just before him. She calmly places the knife against his chest firmly pressing the blade in until it pierces the flesh. The blade is slowly dragged down the entirety of his chest. Her cutting is slow and deep, which evokes a scream out of Travis, the likes of which they had not heard at this point. Final question. 
Did you once hesitate to take that scumbag on as a client after finding out that he had killed my daughter, the niece of your employee at the time? Or did you not even care about my brother and his family enough to do that? Did you only care about the money? Travis looks at her. He thinks long and hard about how he should respond to this question. He knows it was inevitable for this exact question to come up, and he now knows that his answer determines whether he lives or dies. Look, I know that I have treated you and your family horribly. I deserve to be judged for my sins, but this is not how I should be punished. The court of law is how I should be punished. To answer your questions, yes, I do regret having taken on the case of your daughter's killer. However, my boss and his boss told me that I either win this case or I would be fired. So as you may be able to see by now, I had no choice but to take the case. Katie stares at Travis, weighing his words carefully. I'm not sure you actually mean what you're saying. Yet, I do agree that you should be judged by a court of law for the crimes that you have committed. So we will let you go, under two conditions. First, I don't expect you to not tell the cops about your unfortunate abduction. But my brother was only following my instructions. This was not his idea in any way, so I want his name to stay out of it. That part is mandatory. You don't get to choose. Fine. Fine. If you want to take the blame for this, that's on you. I'll keep his name out of this. What's your second condition? Travis impatiently asks. That is the fun part in her eyes. A menacing smile crosses her lips. Well, in the essence of the season, in the need to celebrate Halloween, there are two doors. The first door says trick. You can go through that door if you want, but there's no guarantee you will get out alive. She cackles. Door two says treat. If you hit the upload button on the laptop sitting over there, that was a recording of our conversation, by the way, it has your confession on it. Then the other door will unlock for you to get out safely, which will cause you to pay for your crimes. Now make your choice and accept your fate. Katie bends down. The blade of her knife glides underneath each tie that holds his limb to the wooden chair. She is serious about giving him the chance to pay for what he has done. Travis, on the other hand, can't help but laugh at her. This woman must be delusional to offer him such a thing like that. Do you honestly think for even a moment that I would consider uploading the stuff I just told you? I'd spend the rest of my life in jail. Travis walks over to the door labeled Trick. He pulls the door open and steps over to the threshold, only to be hit in the stomach by a fast-moving and solid object. Travis is caught in the shoulder and then the head several times as he's falling. His body hits the floor. Blood pours out of his head as he lay there, limp and broken. His vision starts to blur as he hears Katie's sickening voice once more. Katie presses the button shutting off the pitching machine that had been hurling baseball-sized rocks at Travis. She then walks over to him and whispers into his ear, Sticks and stones may break your bones, but words would have set you free. She satisfyingly laughs. What the hell, Katie? I thought we planned on setting him free, James shouts. He grabs his sister by her shoulder, shaking her to provoke a response. Katie quickly slaps her brother on the back of the head. He set the killer of my daughter free. Did you really think he was going to live? You're crazy. 
I'm going to the cops because you've lost your goddamn mind. This is not okay. You need help. A loud bang fills the room as her brother turns to leave. James feels a sharp pain in his chest. He slowly looks down to see a small bullet wound, blood seeping out of the hole and running down his shirt. Katie walks over to him, a manic expression clouding her face. My sweet, sweet brother. I am so sorry, but if you stand against me, you must die as well. Goodbye, my dearest brother. Wailing Walls by Beautiful Nightmare I lay awake in bed at night, wondering if things will ever be right. The wailing in the walls have only begun, for the time is right and things are about to come undone. The woman whom wails within the walls has been there long before the fall, and as I lay staring at the light, her fightful screams are full of pure delight. It started on Thursday. Of that, I'm sure. The wailing in the walls were then first heard. There was nothing but silence, a little groan, a little moan in the floors below. But then I heard it from above, as if this weren't absolutely absurd. I brushed it off, not thinking twice. I went to bed very early that night. The house was quiet, the room so cold, and that's when I noticed the woman so old. I closed my eyes and clenched them tight, which caused an odd little chuckle to quickly ignite. Minutes ticked by, my fear too high. Not even my dog would dare to abide. Sleep had taken me during that time. Not even the wailing would scare me that night. Friday came, of that I'm sure. The wailing in the walls were secondly heard. Morning went by without much words. I'd bought some items that I'm sure were cursed. A skeleton here and a skeleton there. A little skeleton was placed everywhere. A candle here, a candle there, that I hadn't realized there was a candle in my hair. I placed the waxed thing onto the table, only to notice the blood-colored maple. My eyes grew wide, my smile had lied, I did not notice that a bat flew by. My stomach had growled from needing some food, yet the sound of a broom had quickly ensued. I popped my head into the kitchen, my vision came across a small cute kitten. I scooped the kitten into my arms, only then did I notice that something was wrong. The kitten had a smile, one real wide, that I just had to stick her on the stoop outside. She meowed and howled really loud, even the grumpy old neighbor shouted stop that now. Afternoon had set in way too soon, the house began to become bestrewn. My hands worked vigorously to decorate the space, my feet had carried me all over the place. Evening crept upon me like a shadow on the wall. Evening crept upon me like a weed grown tall. Dinner was cooked, although not great. But then I noticed it, an odd-looking crate. It was the same shade of that blood-colored maple, except this time it was underneath the dining room table. I picked up the crate, heavy and cold. I lifted the lid to see something small yet old. It was a lantern, one not normal. It was a lantern full of blood-colored oil. I dropped the lantern, frightened to the core. The blood had seeped down onto the wooden floor. The wailing began as soon as it dropped, but then the wailing suddenly stopped. Something did not feel quite right. Something began to howl with might. I nestled into the deep blue covers. The wailing in the walls certainly gave me a shudder. I then fell asleep for a while. 
until I awoke with a mouthful of bile. The taste was putrid, one I knew well. The taste was something I normally put in my hair. The smell was worse when I spit it out. A little dead fish flopped to the ground. The clock struck midnight. The house grew silent, but then I saw that wrecked old smile. The woman crept closer one step at a time, until she was standing not far from my eyes. My lip began to quiver. The cold air had made me shiver. This was when I realized that she was in fact human, not a ghost in the walls like my mind had made real. Her breath, it smelled of peaches and roses, the most liked thing about an odor. She opened her mouth, a blue light appeared, and I watched as a white thing sprang through my ear. Her eyes, how they glowed, a deep red shade as she watched my soul flow. My fear had heightened, but not too high, unlike my soul that soared through the sky. She was neither human nor ghost, but a decrepit old foe with her black gown full of morose. I did not like seeing it go. I did not like seeing my soul grow old. My fingers, they faded, then went my toes. By the end of that moment, all my limbs had grown cold. The wailing in the walls, they had finally stopped, but not until my body had dropped. Secret Treats Upon Dark Streets by Ghost Inc. It was finally Halloween. It is one of, if not the best holiday of the year. You may like to think that Christmas or the lovely Valentine's is, but no. No, Halloween is where it's at. Not just for horror lovers, but for people who like to dress up and be with friends. Candy is a plus in some ways. Anyway, tonight is especially special. Because it's the first time I actually get to go out with only my friends. For the past couple years, my parents always worried I would get into trouble if I went without them. If you knew me, you'd know that I'm like the least likely to ever find myself in trouble. I tend to stay out of it, even at school. Sarah and Anthony decided to join me this year, it's been a plan since last year. Being my childhood friends, I was lucky to stumble upon them as it is. Most people at school have been nothing but scumbags. This year, well, this year I wanted to bring back some nostalgia. The old creepypastas back in the day. Jeff the Killer, always a classic in my book. He was simple, and only one of the few that I could wear a jacket with. If your parents didn't make you wear a jacket during Halloween, well, you were one of the lucky ones. As I was about to be finished dressing up for the part, I heard my mom calling me from downstairs. Joseph, your friends are here, she called out. I simply replied, I'll be down in a minute. I put on the jacket, carried two knives, one obviously fake and the other for protection, and went downstairs. My smile quickly changed to confusion as I looked at my friends' costumes. Sarah wore an interesting one for the most part. A pumpkin for a head in a purple shirt that dripped down to her knees, and her legs covered by black leggings. Anthony, on the other hand, I could tell exactly what he was. Some kind of black bird? His fake wings on his arms and the head of a crow or raven? His shirt said sleep well? 
I don't exactly know if I could after seeing it. What exactly are you guys supposed to be? I asked. I am the glorious Pumpkin Queen, Sarah said with confidence. I'm the Raven of Dreams, Anthony said. I looked even more confused. Okay, explain what that is, I asked. You know, the guy who does those narrations. I showed you him before, he tried to explain. I started to understand who he was referring to. My confusion then went to disappointment. Don't mean to be rude, but I honestly think he'd be more disappointed to see that than be, well, happy about it, I said. You're just jealous I have a better costume, he said with a slight anger in his tone. Before I could speak any further, though, my mom stepped in. It's about time you all went out and got some candy, right? She asked with a warm smile. We all nodded and let ourselves out. Walking down the street, kids of all kinds could be seen in many different costumes, like classic monsters and to newer characters from shows or movies. It was honestly amazing to see this, because it was the most people I had ever seen on Halloween, having the nice conversations, simple jokes to interesting questions throughout the night. It eventually got to the point that there was barely anyone out. Looking at my watch, I realized it was almost midnight. Anthony and Sarah knew they had to leave, despite not wanting to. I wish Halloween didn't have to end, Sarah complained. I feel you on that one, I added. Luckily, Halloween always comes around every year, Anthony pointed out. Yeah, but only once a year, which is the worst part, I explained. Though, spookiness will always be around, Sarah said with a smile. Yeah, true. Anyway, we should split. I'll see you guys tomorrow, I yelled. The two nodded before walking off themselves. Seeing them walk away made me a bit sad, but eh, at least I knew they would be alright. Walking down the sidewalk, each step I took was crushing leaves beneath them. As much as I hated to admit it, walking alone at night didn't feel exactly comfortable. In fact, it felt scary just seeing the shadows. Without focusing too much on it, I kept walking. Then, something caught my eye. It was a good few yards away, but I could see it clearly. Under the streetlight, there was a colorful-looking object gleaming amongst the light. A few more steps forward, I realized it was a piece of candy, still wrapped within its wrapper. It was green and pink. There was some yellow mixed in as well. Looking around, I didn't see any kids who it could belong to. Without a second thought afterwards, I picked it up. However, the sound of light wind that moved throughout the street stopped almost instantly. Looking up, I was caught off guard by where I was. Everything was gray, and it felt lifeless. I couldn't see farther than a few blocks down the road. The only thing that really had color was the candy in my hand. But I knew that this was not home, but I don't know what this could even be. Walking around, the leaves under my feet didn't even make the sound as I crushed them. I didn't know what was going on, but I needed to head back home. Continuing forward into the dense fog, I found myself back where I was before. It was the same spot on the street, same houses, 
Same everything, except the candy that I picked up from before. And this didn't make sense, and it left me baffled. Though, before I could think much longer, I saw something moving, coming from the fog. It looked like a person, at least from a distance. Coming out of the fog, the person wore everything gray and black. What really had me confused was the fact that the person was wearing a mask. A plain, white mask. There weren't even holes in it. They kept walking forward toward me without a sound. They didn't say anything, but continued to walk forward. If they had any idea where I was, it would be helpful. Cautiously walking towards them, I spoke. Hey, do you know where we are? I asked. The person stopped and looked at me. They cocked their head to the left, almost as if they were confused. They walked again, but slower, as if they were analyzing me. I felt a chill come down my spine as they were right in front of me. They crouched down and looked at me with the plain white mask. They put their right hand up to my face. It felt like ice touching my skin, and even worse, it felt stuck onto my face. So warm. So pretty, they stuttered. What? I panicked. They paused as they looked at me. In a confused tone, they spoke. You're not wearing a mask, they said quietly. Why would I wear a mask? I asked, backing away. They still stayed in that same position. Even their hand still was raised up to where my face was. They kept mumbling the same sentence over again. You're not wearing a mask. You're not wearing a mask. You're not wearing a mask, they said. They began grabbing onto their own mask as they kept saying it. It was slowly cracking, pieces falling to the ground. When it eventually shattered, the face underneath was much more horrifying. There were no eyes, no nose, just a monstrous mouth upon a face. It looked at me directly as I was frozen in fear. No! Mask! It yelled in a terrifying voice. Without hesitation, I quickly ran straight for the fog. If I had a chance to hide myself, it was to quickly get to the other side. It ran toward me on all four despite being a human body. It moved abnormally. Its hands clawed as it ran, leaving red marks of blood on the ground, as if it were breaking its nails upon them. Screeching horrifically, it eventually disappeared within the fog as I entered it. Reaching the other side, I saw a tree that I was able to hide my body from the other side. I quickly ran behind it and waited. Taking a peek for a quick second, I saw one of its claws pierce through the fog. It quickly turned back, and I held my breath. After a few seconds, I looked slightly above me. My eyes widened as to what I saw. Claws slowly creeping above me. I tried taking a step back before it launched itself forward. Stumbling back a bit, I tried to stab its face with my knife only to fail because I had grabbed the fake one. Although hitting it as hard as I could caused it to move back as it screeched in pain, I tried running some more only to trip over my feet. Turning back, it kept crawling toward me, mumbling under its breath, No mask, no mask! I only had one last defense, that being my real knife. I threw it, 
landing it right on the shoulder. That only angered it more as it yanked it out. As it was about to pounce onto me, I tried covering my face to protect as best I could. I screamed as it jumped, only to hear the sound of a gun blast within my ear. My ears ringing, I looked over and saw it laying on the street, a pool of blood surrounding it as its body continued to twitch. Looking on the other side, a dark figure walked up to me, only for it to knock me out hard with a single hit. After waking up, my eyes finally adjusted to the light. I found myself in a pure white room. I was tied to a chair that I was sitting in. In front of me was a man smoking a cigar and a white table between us. He looked at me carefully before finally speaking. So it took you long enough to wake up, he said. Confused, I began to panic. Where am I? The man blew some smoke. You're in a place that you won't be leaving anytime soon, especially all that you've witnessed and survived. I can't say that I like that it's come to this, but it's what we have to do, he explained. What's going to happen to me? I asked worriedly. All I know is that you won't be seeing your parents probably ever again, he said. Hearing those words, my heart began to sink. Was this really all happening? Why are you keeping me here? I yelled. I want to see my parents. The man just shook his head. We can't do that. If we do, everything is at a stake higher than your own life. If word were to get out and what you've seen and experienced, more lives would be at risk, he said calmly while giving a serious look. Tears started to flow down my face as I was facing this harsh reality. I won't be seeing my parents or my friends again. Why, of all people, did this happen to me? It hurt even more inside. What are you going to do to me? I said weakly. The man then smudged his cigar on the table, causing it to go out. He then cleared his throat. I'll give you a choice. One where you either try to escape this place, or one where you won't risk the lives of your parents or friends. I give you this because, well... I've done the same. I lost my friend to one of those things, too. Not too long ago, in fact, he said with sorrow in his eyes. So, I stay here, or everyone I know could be killed? Is that the choice you're giving me? I asked, while tears were still in my eyes. He nods lightly without a word. Well, then I'll, I'll stay, I said weakly, as more tears began to drip off my face. A good choice. I promise that when this is over, you'll see your family again, he said. I began to cry upon the table, which gave him the message to leave me be. The man then sat up and went to the only door within the room. As he opened it, I had to ask him one last question. Hey, I said, what's your name? He turned to me with a straight face. The name is Ethan. So that, my good friends, was a collection of three horrifying stories to haunt your nightmares on this beautiful Hollow's Eve. And, well, I hope they hit their mark, though I'm sure they did. <laughs> if you enjoyed those and would like more like this, please do consider sticking around. 
The Nevermore is an inviting place where you can spend more time than just this haunting day. All that said, I have a feeling you'll stick around, so I will see you next time. Whenever we decide to haunt your dreams with more terrifying tales of intrigue. And that said, my dear friend, I hope you sleep well. 